Hello and welcome to Braveheart Conversations, where we learn the art of love through brave and compassionate conversations. I am Jillian Landis, and I'm Marie Wallace, and we are your hosts today. Hello everyone, today we are going to be talking about the difference between compassion and disempowerment. So sometimes we have um, this idea that if someone has gone through something really difficult, we feel grief for them, we feel sadness for them, but sometimes that can turn into disempowerment, that can turn into a message saying um, you have this disease or this problem or this uh, situation that affected you and therefore now now you're crippled for life mm-hmm it's a, a friend of mine in a in a women's group had talked about a situation where someone had an 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 illness and they the doctor had made it sound like there was no option but for her to go down this road that it was um, it sounded like a life sentence and the other person was a medical person and she said just so you know the difference it's a diagnosis it's not a terminal termination slip I'm not sure what you would call that what what would call that but basically it's a diagnosis it means that you can do something yeah. about it it's you aren't your diagnosis you aren't you have your diagnosis. a diagnosis mm-hmm. yeah and I think that Although it can be really helpful to identify a problem, um, which is what a diagnosis is meant to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's meant to be something to empower you to fix it and solve it. But often I think what happens is it becomes disempowering because it can become a label to say, I can't. Yeah, a label was what I was looking for. It's an indicator Mm -hmm. that something's wrong. Just like you take a test for a blood test, right? Mm -hmm. It says, oh, this indicates that you could you need to take care of this, this, and this, Mm -hmm. and there are tools. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, terminal or that you, that you don't have choices in the matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, working in the mental health field for a long time, I have, I've seen kind of both sides of the spectrum where sometimes you'll have somebody that's, you know, doesn't have any, any, uh, compassion. And it's like, no, you you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get up and figure (laughs) it out. Um, and then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where there's so much coddling and compassion that it, it actually disempowers the person and keeps them stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the relationship aspect of this for me, the, the component in, in my life that this has been really uh, powerful for me is I'm often in the caregiving role or you know I, I experience... Um, people around me who struggle with diseases and and difficult situations and how do I hold that space for them where it's both empowering and compassionate Mm -hmm. that's really important for me it's a fragile line Mm -hmm. yeah so the message that I um, I have compassion for the disease that you have or the problem that you're experiencing and I grieve that whatever that loss is for you and and I believe that you have the power in you to overcome that. Yes. Yes. I think those words are so important. I believe in you is 
is a very empowering statement Mm -hmm. and I grieve that allows them to see that it does you know affect you and you do care without muddying the waters and holding them small or in a place that um doesn't empower them doesn't allow them to to look for other choices i think when we hold someone in that position and we don't offer them i believe you have that power then we're we're also saying there are no choices right and it doesn't we we won't even actively look for another option because we've already decided our fate or already decided that this is the way it's going to be and then our brain doesn't even work on what are some possibilities to either get out of a situation or work on um, my health or whatever the situation is? Uh, my brain can actively seek other options and opportunities to make that situation better mm-hmm. if I'm not holding them small. Right. I like I like that phrase, holding them small. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> um so I think, yeah, there's two different things, the two different paths that my brain takes when um, I'm thinking of somebody who's been diagnosed with something um, that's been traumatic or hard for them. Um, one is for the actual person, like what's your, uh, what are you getting out of this? Like what's your motivation moving forward? Sometimes we can either be empowered and motivated to overcome whatever our diagnosis is Mm -hmm. whatever our problem is um but sometimes it becomes um an escape Mm. to actually deal with whatever your internal growth could be Mm -hmm. does that make sense yes um so it's really important to develop some self-awareness to know you know what am i getting out of this if i am using this yeah this diagnosis um, to keep me small, like what? What am I getting out of that? What am I afraid of? Cause I was gonna say fear <laughs> is the big motivator in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes we're afraid of success or we're afraid of of failure, um, and so if we have something that's kind of an excuse why we can't try, then that can be um, that can be a huge barrier. Afraid of letting someone down. Yeah, and then the other piece for me is is not the the person, but the person who's doing the diagnosing or the caregiver after the fact is, um, this is, this is a role that I know really well. And I think that there is also a payoff that we need to be really careful about, um, that we can easily, um, be meeting a need for power or being a savior or, Mm -hmm. um, some other, other codependent role by keeping somebody else small. Martyrdom. (laughs) Yeah. So if somebody else is dependent on me to solve their problem and I'm, I'm in the trenches with them, Mm -hmm. there is, there's an unhealthy payoff and I may think that I am, being helpful and look at me, I'm so good hearted and mm-hmm. I sacrifice all this time and energy to help this person. And in reality, in reality, I'm actually um, hurting them more mm-hmm. because I'm disempowering them and keeping them small and um, maybe some level of comfort, but, um, but not in a healthy way. Not in a healthy way. Well, that's that the martyrdom part as well as just 
yeah, definitely not healthy for either party because mm-hmm. the caregiver can get overwhelmed and resentful. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to whom they're giving care to. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, it's it's just seems like a tragic situation with a dark cloud going over both people yeah. all the time or, the, or a family because I've seen it with families as well mm-hmm. where the whole family is is suffering because they're not getting that opportunity to get past the person who needs that much attention. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think so, so far I've talked mostly about like medical diagnoses or mental health, but this can also apply. I know for me, this was really huge in, um, like codependent relationships. I think the most helpful thing that ever happened for me is that when, uh, when, I was just starting my journey of recovery and it was really at like, woe is me. Um, <laughs> you know, look at how awful all these people are in my life and how they're mistreating Nobody me. Nobody likes me. And, and <laughs> the best thing that anybody ever said to me was, you're not a hostage. Nobody is tying you down to a chair <laughs> and saying you must stay in this relationship. And um, so was that an empathetic response? No, but it was exactly what I needed. It was the truth. And that was empowering for me to make a change Mm -hmm. because I was able to see choice. One could argue it might have been empathetic if they've been in that spot and knew you need, that was the exact thing that you would need. Yeah, but it wasn't like feeling into, like, you know, when I think of empathy, it's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and Mm -hmm. being able to feel their emotions and it wasn't a touchy feely. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't a. You needed oh, the I'm shock. So sorry for you. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, and I think I had gotten plenty of that. You know, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Yes, they're such an mm-hmm. asshole, and you know, all that validation. That wasn't what I needed. That mm-hmm. wasn't helping my situation. That only served to um, give more of my power away. And I think this very often happens in victim situations where. Um, and it could be a horrible tragedy or crime, mm-hmm. you know, it could be somebody who's a victim of a rape. And mm-hmm. if you continue to tell that person that, um, that your healing is at the mercy of what this person, you know, if they apologize to you or they make amends or, mm-hmm. you know, you're never at the mercy of somebody else. Um, your healing well, it goes is with divorce, domestic violence, um, families rivalry mm-hmm. it, it it follows all of those anytime we are not sovereign in in our own mm-hmm. in our own power we are giving it away yes so. yes yeah so i think across the board this applies to you know, every relationship <laughs> yeah relationships and labels you know mm-hmm. we just have to be so careful about whatever um label whether it's a mental illness label a victim label um you know, I also, you know, we've talked about before the term narcissist is oh, yes. a lot, around a lot. You know, I'm in a relationship with a narcissist. Okay, but that doesn't make you <laughs> a, a, a powerless victim. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not helpless. You have a part too. Um, you know, what are you allowing? You're not tied to that chair. <laughs> You're not tied to the chair. And the, I think a compassionate thing is is to feel with them. You know, like you said, or the empathetic is to be in their shoes, 
and and maybe be aware of what a next step could be we don't have to but it could be that um we empower them by saying um now what mm -hmm. it, it's sad it's terrible it's awful it should have never happened but life throws us those curveballs and after a while, like allowing them to grieve because we do need to go through those processes. But after a while, it's like, okay, so now what? What? Where? What can? What's an action forward? What's one little step you can take that will move you forward from this that allows you to not hold yourself because we hold ourselves small too. Yes. We we hold ourselves in that place of. I can't do anything. It's impossible. We can't see any possibilities mm -hmm. and we hold ourselves there. So, um, as it may be an, a now what, or a little yeah. phrase that says, um, what was yours that you just, I thought you just said one where she said, no one's holding you to the chair. Yeah. You're not chained there. Yeah. Yeah. We're not stuck. Um, we may feel stuck, but we are not stuck. We have choice. Um, something that I really like, I, I think is another Brene Brownism because I use this. I love time. her. I love her. Um, but she talks about writing the ending to your story. Yes. And, um, so yeah, you can still acknowledge what happened and still have compassion and empathy and grief, um, for whatever just took place. And, and you decide when you write the ending to that story and move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, that story can linger on and on and, and dictate. And if you don't like that life. ending, you can choose another That's ending. That's right. That's right. You're holding the pen. Yes. Nobody else is holding the pen. No one. So, um, I mean, that's a huge, huge lesson. I'll, I'm going to, I'm kind of feeling into um, wanting to talk about uh, suicidality. This is something that's come up for me recently is... Um, it's, it's so tricky to deal with people who have really significant um, mental illness. And, um, and this is something that isn't often talked about from the caregiver perspective versus, you know, we, we do see a lot of help and resources out there for people struggling with suicidal thoughts. But um, what about what about the caregivers and the people on the other side who it's so tricky to navigate those um, situations? And I, I often will hear of parents who have a child that struggles with suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts or a friend, and how do you support them? And and I think this is a a really tricky area where um, it it is easy to fall into disempowerment. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to, to fall into this area of fear. Like, I'm so afraid of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but they're at choice as well. Mm -hmm. Our family dealt with a suicide and, um, and of a very close family member. And it was, it was really difficult to navigate. But the bottom line is it was their choice. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, because you, you can go back and you can... You can redo the dialogue and the events and go, well, what if I had done this? Or what if I had said this? Or what if it, 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 it's not a deciding factor, right? It's still a person who made a choice and I have to 
We have to respect that choice, whether we agree with it or not, which happens in a lot of situations in relationships. We don't agree with the choice, but honestly, in the end, there's nothing that we could have said or done that would have made it. it sometimes it's a snap decision. And um, fortunately, I was going through a, a trauma school at the time that it happened, and the, and the instructor said it's not that they don't, that they want to die. Mm-hmm. They just don't know what they want to live for. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to know that we we don't know right. where that or when or the circumstances that decision was made. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a snap decision. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, it's a mental illness that you you don't. But I have to be... A good thing for me is to say that I did what I could when I could, mm-hmm. and then the rest is someone yeah. else's choice. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree, and I think this is super important in talking about empowerment or disempowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you have a loved one, and this is an extreme case, there are a lot of you know, there's such a wide spectrum sure. of illness or mental illness, um, but. Uh, but this is something that I think people struggle with managing and like, and there is some possible guilt of, you know, what if I didn't intervene? Mm -hmm. And, um, I do think that, um, in some cases, detachment feels more easy, right? Mm -hmm. But it feels really vulnerable when it's like, um, I've held space for this person Mm -hmm. who is struggling and sometimes, you know, I've seen many cases where it's chronic, you know, mm-hmm. constantly thinking of um, committing suicide. And um, it's, it's very tough to be on the other side of that, watching that. Um, but being able to just hold space for their grief and not taking it on and mm-hmm. not, um, not making it my responsibility to solve that being in a supportive space of what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a beautiful question mm-hmm. to me because it really still empowers them, puts the ball back in their court of identifying what they need instead of me just throwing a whole bunch of solutions mm-hmm. at a problem, you know, where I'm kind of taking away their dignity to solve that Agreed. problem. Um, but if I can ask them, you know, how can I support you best? Um, and, and a lot of times you don't get an answer, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's okay. And, you know, there is no magic answer to make them And there are some situations you aren't able to help mm-hmm. in the way that they need you to help as well. Yeah, and then that is the ultimate difficult conclusion, is mm-hmm. they might take their life. They, mm-hmm. they might do that. And that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. And that's super, super tough. But at the end of the day, that's not my choice. Mm-hmm. I don't get to make that choice for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's still a valid option for somebody to say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that's going to make that not an option as much as we mm-hmm. may want to make them stay. Mm-hmm. But it's not our choice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I do think that everyone has choice and autonomy 
mm-hmm. no matter what their struggle is. So no matter what their illness is, their mental illness, their physical illness, um, their history of victimization, we may not have been able to choose whatever happened to us, Mm -hmm. but we do have the responsibility of our recovery, seeking our recovery. Mm -hmm. And this came to be really apparent to me when I watched a lot of loved ones struggling with addiction. And Mm -hmm. I do believe that that is a disease. I do believe that it's, Mm -hmm. it's a sickness. Um, and it was devastating to watch. And I didn't think that they chose that lifestyle but I do think that they had the responsibility to choose the path of recovery. And that's the same for all of us. Mm-hmm. However, there is a lot of medical involved in addiction as well, where we think someone has the choice. And it's, let's see, how do I want to say that? For some people in addictive situations, they can make that choice and be done, right? Mm -hmm. It's really simple and easy for them. They've come to a point in their life where the loss is greater than, than the addiction. However, I just know that medically, for some people, it's a lot harder than a choice, if that makes sense. Um, Well, and I think it depends on the person, too. And at some point, there is a much bigger loss of control. Um, So I've watched people or at least, like, I've been around a lot of recovery Mm -hmm. or lack thereof. Me, too. Um, (laughs) And and I've I've seen situations where people drink themselves to death and they they don't ever get the the consequences. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've gotten the consequences, but they never... They never changed their they behavior because that's where I I do see the line of d- disease versus choice. Mm-hmm. Where you know, um, so the the big book of AA uh, shares a story that I think is pretty powerful. Um, where there's a a man who has an addiction to jaywalking. <laughs> <laughs> that gets pissed off but it's all good well and then he starts getting getting a little bit injured he he breaks his arm and then then he heals and he runs right back out and breaks his leg and then he heals and runs right back out and breaks his back and then he heals and he runs out in front of a train oh dear <laughs> and the idea is that no sane person behaves this way mm-hmm. um and, and I feel like that story is very powerful to me in viewing addiction in a similar way that they have all of these horrible things that happen and they run right back out in front of a vehicle. Um, and it's completely irrational behavior because they're not being governed by logic. They're not Mm-mm. being governed by, you know, their brain is offline. Their brain, I like that. Their brain is offline. It, it, it. I don't like that their brain is offline. I like that it's, that you say that it makes a visual picture of why it's very difficult to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so I don't think that there is no answer. Um, I've seen a lot of people recover and recover mm -hmm. successfully um, and live really vibrant lives. But um, has is so many things, like the first step is acceptance. Yes, I have this problem. Mm -hmm. Whether it's addiction or it's mental illness or it's I was victimized, I have this you know trauma now. Mm -hmm. um, it is acceptance. You have to acknowledge it. Yes. Yeah, acceptance of these things, awareness of how they did harm me or are harming me, and then moving forward to the choice part. Mm -hmm. I, I may not have had choice when these, this happened. Yeah, yep. how these things developed. Um, but I do have choice moving forward how I'm going to seek help mm -hmm. because very often when I see people really struggle, it's because they are isolating, you know, there's shame because, you know, all of these things, they create shame. You know, I have this mental illness, I have this addiction, I have this, you know, pattern or this trauma. My unworthiness causes. Mm -hmm. And so it's isolating and then it's very very tough to reach out for help but that is that is where we have choice that is where we have um, the ability to make a difference in our recovery and moving forward and writing a different ending exactly mm -hmm. we have the pen we have the pen we always have the pen we always have the pen and every time you think you don't <laughs> you are wrong you are wrong <laughs> true true so I think, you know, as someone looking in on the outside and maybe somebody that has a partner or a friend or a um, child or someone close in their life that's struggling with any of these things, you know, how do we empower them most? And yes, it is empathy and it is grieving with them and it is acknowledging the problem for sure. But it's also an and and you can still overcome this, and you still have choice. And support will support you. But I think it's also, the other part of it is in the caregiving role, reminding ourselves as caregivers that we we also have choice. Yeah. Because sometimes we, we do these things, and we've been used to being in a caregiving role, and... And think that there's no other options out there. So we've we've allowed that to continue too without getting the help. So I think it, it's both mm -hmm. both roles where sometimes the caregiver because I've seen and and heard stories of caregivers who've lost everything yeah. in that role of caregiving not seeking other yes. help or other so know that there are sources and resources out there for you to to get the support you need as a caregiver as well as um, the victim person because sometimes we focus on that victim so much we forget that the caregiver needs the support as well from our so community true. too. And I love that you're bringing this up too because sometimes it's appropriate to have like sometimes that's a season Sometimes we get to help yes, and it's a be season. a support and hold space, and sometimes that ends. And sometimes it's time to say, you know, um, maybe they're entrenched in their own disempowerment and don't accept any choice or responsibility, and, and they become a drain, and 
sometimes it's absolutely the most loving thing to do to let them go. For their own health as well, their own um, mental health and mm-hmm. emotional health and physical health even, because mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do, and and the caregiver still has their own life to 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 live and to be part of and um I, I I like that you said there's a season so that it it allows you to allows the caregiver not to have as much guilt yeah because there is a little especially when family's involved I've seen that happen with some family members I know someone who care was a caregiver for an in-law for a long long time and lost everything and so obviously at that point she needed help and didn't didn't get it and and her own life and health suffered from it yeah and so at that point you know just just thinking about the caregiver you know as well as the the victim in that mm-hmm. yeah and and this is something I'm certainly not not a foreign experience to me um so when um years ago I was in a relationship with an addict this was a huge huge lesson for me when I just was pretty new in my recovery um I was terrified of letting this relationship go I had been in the caregiver role for a couple of years um I was taking care of all of his needs um you know shelter, food, uh, all, the, all the basic needs. And I was very resentful and felt very sucked dry. And um, I was terrified of letting him go because I was afraid of what would happen. I was afraid of him committing suicide. I was afraid of um, him being homeless and mm-hmm. getting into trouble. And, um, and I did eventually face those fears and let him go. And... He did do all those things. Aww. He did attempt suicide. He did get into you know legal trouble and um, was on the street for a while. But the miracle in that story is that a year, year or two later, he was functioning well. You know, managing nice. a restaurant and you know living life. Mm-hmm. And it was such an important um, closure for me to realize. Wow, you know, getting out of the way. Even though, yeah, there's a lot of turmoil that can mm-hmm. happen. Um, ultimately, that was in his best interest. Because he could have stayed in that same cycle yeah. over and over again, as well as you. Yep. Because it wasn't healthy for you in that situation No, it was either. disempowering for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been in that situation as well. It's, it's not healthy for anyone in that. No. No. And so, yeah, you take a risk. You take a risk that something might mm-hmm. go wrong. But and you might also, lose a relationship too, because that's yeah. also a fear of mm-hmm. ours is is losing a relationship, and it might be the most loving, kind thing is losing that relationship. Yes, it's sad, but yeah. But you know, we're here for growth, right? That's the, that's our purpose. We're here to grow and learn, mm-hmm. and so if if we're ever standing in the way of that for someone, mm-hmm. like, we're not honoring them. Well, and if you find yourself in that cycle, if you find that you're not moving forward, mm-hmm. right, then you know that there's something that you you get to do or change or move to get out of that and move forward. Yeah. 
And uh, so if you ever feel like there is no choice, that's the exact time to sit down and go, okay, there's got to be something else and start getting creative and focusing, refocusing would be a good thing to do in that respect is focusing on something, some way to get out of that cycle. Mm -hmm. One tiny movement, (laughs) this is kind of a plug for Women Ignite, but they have that make, is it make one change? Mm -hmm. It's, it's exactly that. It's one change can really make a huge difference yes it might be a bigger change than you want (laughs) but but it always that movement forward allows things to be a lot healthier yeah and and that was certainly true for me it started with small steps you know setting boundaries that felt like big mountains to me looking back I'm like oh my lord how was that even hard that was really little (laughs) compared but um you know it is it is starting small and you know setting boundaries and honoring yourself one little piece at a time um and honoring them a little better um and then and then sometimes that does eventually lead to um, stepping away from a relationship or saying, you know, this is not, you know, this caregiving role isn't honoring for either one mm-hmm. of us and, um, and I'm going to let you go. And, um, and I have no ability to determine how that's going to play out for you. And if you're going to, um, step into your power and take, um, control of your choices, mm-hmm. um, or if you'll continue to, uh, be at the mercy of whatever the thing is, the the label, the addiction, the relationship, whatever. And just send them with love and blessings mm-hmm. so that I think that's the most honoring thing. So yeah. our bottom line is we're all at choice, the caregiver and, and the person going through the trauma or the mental illness or the disease. We're all at choice. Yes. 100% always. responsible for ourselves. Yes. Yes, and so we're responsible to do the most honoring and caring thing, um, which is very tough a lot of the time. It's not it's not often what we think it is. You know, sometimes we stay in relationships um, and helping and taking over things that aren't really our, mm-hmm. our business, um, and we think that that's loving, but that's actually very disempowering and dishonoring in most cases. And it may be considered selfish by some. Absolutely. But it's absolutely <laughs> important sometimes to be selfish in a way that is loving and compassionate to all. Yeah. <laughs> all involved. Yeah, I often like to say selfish empowers me to be the most loving version of myself. Because I do think, you know, when I honor me, I honor other people. Mm -hmm. And if I am compromising my own values, if I'm compromising myself in a relationship, I I don't show up as a very loving person. Mm -mm. It shows up as resentment. Definitely as resentment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and that's not a very loving version of me. Nope. Um, I don't I don't really care for that version. Me, of me either. Me up. either. I want to be that loving person. <laughs> I I prefer to show up in honor, um, and and to me today my truth is that that is the highest version of love I could give anyone. Yes. So. Well, it's also being a role model, an example, mm-hmm. for them what it could look like to honor yourself. 
Yes, absolutely, because that's often what we're trying to ram down their throat is love yourself better, right? <laughs> and then we're being a terrible example. If you were just, it's kind of like when I was teaching, they said if you could just open up their head and stuff it in. <laughs> but you know, that's another piece is like really stepping out of that arrogance to say, I don't know what's right for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your path looks like. I don't, I don't have the answers for you. And, no. um, because that really is so arrogant to think that we know best for everybody mm-hmm. else. I don't, I don't, I really don't, you know, using might be a vital piece of somebody's journey. Um, and if they're not done with that piece, like who am I to say that they have to be done with that piece? We don't know the big plan either for anybody. I mean, there's, I, I don't know. I don't know what's right for other people, but I was given, um, intuition and and feelings and Mm -hmm. a connection with a higher power to, um, to guide me and knowing what's right for me. Exactly. that doesn't involve suffering for somebody else's illness exactly well said yeah well i think this has been a really this has awesome been a great... episode i'm really glad that we were able to talk about some, me too yeah some awesome. of those things that have been kicking around in my head for sure is yeah sometimes when our helping becomes really disempowering um but i really do believe that empowerment and compassion coexist well together they do yeah so thank you, Marie. Thank you, Jill. I appreciate you sharing with, with us your juicy tidbits. Um, if you are listening today and you have any questions or comments about um, what we've spoken about, please email Marie or myself. Um, you can contact me at defytheaverage at gmail.com. And me at Marie at mariesgold.com. And we'd love to hear about any other relationship um, conflicts or situations that you have, questions that we might be able to answer on one of our next episodes. That would be great. Um, So you're welcome to email in and be anonymous. Um, So we look forward to hearing from you. We we know your questions are on someone's mind. Yes. (laughs) If you have a question, you can guarantee someone else has it too. We are all connected. This is true. When we share our stories, we really empower others to heal. Um, so with that, we will wrap up and we will see you all next week. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.